I'm Tanya, and you are listening to the first episode of season three of Human and Holy. <laughs> it's so good to be back, and I can't wait for all of the amazing topics that we have planned for this upcoming season. I'm ready for the raw, real experience of Yiddishkeit, and I can't wait to take you along with me as I speak to women and explore topics in Torah and Hasidus that lie at the heart of our human and holy selves. Today's episode is a celebratory episode in honor of Yutis Kislev. Before we get to it, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Tovito, and I'm really grateful to have a chance to amplify what they do. Tovito is a website and an app that has hundreds of original and quality videos for Jewish boys and girls. It's designed to be a safer and simpler place for Jewish kids' entertainment so that you can hand it to your child and feel comfortable knowing that there are no ads or any place that they can go that you don't want them. We all know that YouTube is like an iffy place to drop a child, but Tovito is designed with Jewish children in mind. And what's cool about Toledo is not only do they have a huge library of videos, but they actually add new videos weekly and create exclusive content that's produced solely for the subscribers. So 3D animation, live action films, and they even have something coming in time for Hanukkah, which is a live action movie about the Maccabees in the year 2022. So I would get in on that. It sounds like a fun thing for Hanukkah vacation. Tovito makes a really cool gift for the whole family. You don't have to get individual presents. You can just purchase that and you're set for the entire mishpacha. A yearly subscription is usually $99 a year, but... We have a special human and holy code for you. So thanks for listening. You can use the code HH15 for 15% off on tovito.com. And I will put the link in the show notes. Tovito is available on almost every platform, smart TVs, websites, and apps. It's also available for download so you can use it while traveling. And it's pretty much the perfect platform for your kids to have some Jewish entertainment in a Jewish way that's also really fabulously done. Thanks, Tovito, for your awesome platform, and thank you for sponsoring today's episode. I wanted to start this season with a Farbrengen. I mean, that's what we traditionally do on Yiddish Kiss Life, but also because in a Farbrengen, you hear a chorus of women's voices bringing Hasidus to life. Today, we're going to tell the story of Kikarov, how the teachings of Hasidus are so close to us and so accessible. What you'll hear is that Karov, close, does not always mean easy. But it means it's possible, and it already belongs to us. The wisdom of Hasidus is not simply a part of our toolbox that sits alongside all the other wisdoms of the world. Learning Hasidus does not give us access to tools that are outside of us. It only gives us an awareness of our inner powers, our kaiches, that we all already have within our souls. Join me for Yutes Kislev for bringing where we weave together 
women's voices from the last season and allow them to carry us forward as we begin again. I want to revisit that moment for a second when you saw the foot come out and you were speaking to Hashem and talking to him through this experience. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Was there a conscious decision that you made? Was it sort of like the moment carried you and you had this adrenaline of trust? How did that happen? I don't think it happened at all. Like in the moment of adrenaline, I feel like there was so much hard work put in I had been learning Shar Bitachan and Sternigan's book, Your Awesome Self, every single morning for seven years, over and over and over again, with others like Hayyam Yayam. And not, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Like not taking these concepts on in a major way, but really meditating and applying little by little into my life in little moments of seeing Hashem in the moment, like even something so simple, I would be sitting at my garage and it's not opening. And I'm like damning the button. And I'm like, pause, Hashem's got this, like just little, little, little Mm. things of building up this. And I call it a muscle because I don't know how else to call it of building a relationship with Hashem. It's not an aggressive experience. It's almost a feeling in my body of being a vessel versus being proactive. It's like receiving, receiving God. It's a feeling in my body that I worked at over time. And there's like a hunting down, which is a proactive experience, but the actual experience of God feels to me like a receiving experience. The feeling in my body is like a surrender almost, I would say, receipt, surrender. I don't, it's hard to put words to feelings, you know, but that's very much what my experience was. And it was little, 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 little bits that I had been working towards a relationship with God. Little moments, years of learning and integrating in bite-sized ways to bring her to this moment where everything was crumbling around her and Eliza allowed herself to be held by Hashem. Devorah Nussbaum describes Da'as as a felt sense of Hashem's reality in your body. In Perak Lamed Heya of Tehillim, David HaMalach says, Kol atzmaisai taimarna Hashem mi chamaicha all my bones will exclaim, Who is like you, God? What does it feel like for our bones to experience Hashem's presence? What makes it possible for us to arrive at Das, to be in the midst of a difficult experience and feel calmed by Hashem's presence? In Tanya, it says that my godly soul is surrounded by my animal soul, which is surrounded by my body. And that's where I identify as my animal soul. Okay. But really, truly, my godly soul manifests inside of my conscious 
thoughts in my mind, right? And then it can trickle down into my heart. It can move downward, whereas my animal source starts and my body as emotions and experiences, and then it moves up into my head to interpret and make sense and stories about it, right? So I'll have an experience, I'll feel an emotion, and then as a ba- as a child, as a toddler, or whatever, and I'm developing, and then I'll, I'll develop a thought process to explain that feeling. So I want my mother, she's not available, I feel abandoned, and then, then I'll make an, a, a reason why I'm abandoned. Oh, my mother doesn't love me anymore. That's just a very general example. But we do that the whole time because in order for us to feel safe, we have to make stories about things. Then we can control and predict them and we can understand why they happen. But most of the stories we make up are absolute false and not based on anything in reality. They're just based on like a need to have an answer and not having so much information. Godly soul consciousness is I learn information. I actually learn from the sources of the Torah, the reality that I am never alone. Hashem is always with me. Hashem everything is divinely pro- like meant to be. Everything that I experience here and see is an opportunity for me to grow and learn. Our souls are deeply connected with each other. And there's no stories when it comes to our souls. Our souls are confident, they're light, they're joyful, they are expanded. So when I see another person, all I see is their joy and their light and their love. And I don't see all the stories about like their low self-esteem and their annoying things and what they do and what I like about them and I don't like about them. So I just can relate to them as an open, pure kind of soul. So in order for me to actually feel that in my body, I need, it needs to have an impact on my midas. It has to have an impact on like my emotional state that's embedded in my cellular memory. So I have to start by first of all learning that information. I have to start by actually understanding this logically, right? Which would be in my chokhmah, in my bina. My chokhmah actually, which is so interesting because chokhmah is koyachmah, the power of what? It's a power to be open and curious and to stand in the face of whatever I'm experiencing and say, wow, look at that. So it actually has some things that are very in line with, uh, similar to Das in the sense it's open and curious, just kind of stands and it watches the emotions and it's like, oh, wow. But it doesn't have a story. Chachma doesn't have a story. It's just this open, curious place. It's also Bittal. When I say Bittal, the definition I'm using is that it doesn't have a preconceived notions of how things should be. So it's not coming mm-hmm. from the glasses of how I perceive myself in the world and how people perceive me. It's just, I'm open. I don't know. Like, I'm curious. Wow, this is interesting. <laughs> like, I don't have an emotional story behind it. And then I've been where I understand something. I learn a new piece of information. I understand it logically. It makes sense to me. And then my dance is where I really, how do I feel this in my body? If I really knew that every single second of my life, God was watching. He was, he loved me. He was holding me. He was connecting with me. He was guiding me, talking to me, communicating me through every single second of my life. How would I feel? If I really knew that, how would I feel? And to spend time thinking and asking that question, if this was a reality for me, if I really experienced this as a reality, how would I feel? Do I want this to be my reality? Do I want to walk through life feeling these feelings? And to spend time actually noticing, what would I feel? Feel it in your body. Focus on that feeling. Deepen and expand it so that you feel like it spreads throughout your whole body and really have a visceral experience of it, that is transformative. That's really transformative. That's not just like, in the words of the Alter Rebbe, like vain fancies in the mind of like, oh, wow, it's so inspiring. I know Hashem is everywhere with me. But then when I miss the bus, I'm like, oh, no, this is awful. (laughs) That's how we live a lot of the time. We live with this 
big gap between what I know. I could be so inspired. This is also what it talks about Antonia. We can be so inspired by things. We can be davening and learning and feel, really feel this. And then the next minute it goes away. And that's okay. That's also okay. That's the service of the one who struggles. That's the service of the average person is, is that, and it doesn't mean that that moment when you really felt it, it wasn't true because it was true because it's the best you can do. And it does have an impact, even if it's a tiny amount, tiny amounts over long periods of time create big amounts. And it starts to really change the way you see yourself in the world and experience yourself in the world on a very deep level. Sometimes Hashem asks us to be open to a more godly reality when circumstances seem to be out of our control. But what about when someone in our life seems to be out of control? How can we see or experience God's reality then? Rachel Holtzkenner speaks about her experience with chapter 31 of Tanya, where the Alter Rebbe talks about not only resisting judgment of the people who we perceive as failing, but to actually respect them and admire them for the effort they expend in their lives. To look at them and experience Das of Hashem's reality, to see how precious they are and how engaged. One of the challenges that I experienced growing up was having a father who struggled and struggles till today very deeply with emotional and mental illness. And he is a wonderful, sincere person, a balchuva, and gave us so much. But of course, there was a lot of challenges that come from having a parent that struggles with mental illness. Things that I actually didn't even realize at the time growing up, you know, you just take what you have as, as being the norm. But looking back, seeing how it did and has impacted me. And a year or two ago, I mentioned to my mashpia that I felt like I am lacking something emotionally. Like I feel like there's a part of me that's emotionally shut down. I could stay in my head, but my heart, it's just hard to access things with my heart. And she said to me, you're holding on to resentment. You need to completely forgive anybody that hurt you growing up. And I said, I do. I'm not upset about it anymore. I've worked it through. And she was like, no, working it through is, is different than, than really forgiving with a whole heart. And she was like, why don't you spend time every night literally meditating on the fact that your father did the best that he could with the tools that he had? Wow. And I did that. And, you know, when I went to bed, I closed my eyes and thought about how deep of a struggle it must have been for him. And like everybody Sometimes we know what a person's struggle is, but we don't really know. We don't really know all the ramifications of that struggle and how much he gave me despite that emotional handicap. And it was a very difficult but deep meditation with a lot of rewards. Just like all of these pushback, all of these mental exercises, they're so hard. They fly in the face of instinct, at least for me. Mm. 
but it's so rewarding on so many levels, both in terms of our own emotional vibrance and, of course, how effective we could be in relating to other people and, when appropriate, helping them to grow. I want to ask you, first of all, thank you for sharing the example of your father. It's something I think that a lot of children experience. Any children who have had challenges in their life due to a challenge that their parent had, to be able to really recognize that the parent did the best they could. I'm wondering, has it changed the way that you interact with your father? Has it changed the way that he interacts with you, this work that you've been doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Tanya says, the compassion releases love that's been locked. And this is really all about compassion, about opening your heart to feeling another person's pulse, another person's heartbeat. And just like I don't want to be judged, I want another person to understand and to treasure the effort that I've put in my accomplishments despite the challenges. I want to be in tune with that when it comes to another person. So the love that's kind of trapped in a cage is able to be released. We say in the davening, Yaakov asher poda es Avraham. So Daltarev interprets that, maybe it was the Baal Shem Tov that originally said this, I don't know, but that Yaakov, compassion can release chesed, which is represented by Avraham, when it's locked, which is also another beautiful premise that we do have love and respect for another person, but we need to access it and be in touch with it. And compassion is the key to unlock it. What happens when we are looking at ourselves and judging ourselves for the struggles we experience that seem ridiculous in comparison to other people's struggles, or just seem trivial or unending, despite the effort we've poured into them? Zizi Zirkind shares how we can see our own struggles through God's lens, too. Basically, the whole point of this is to say that I'm able to accomplish something extremely awesome, even though I was created extremely flawed. Mm. And I think just in that first line, at least this is what resonated with me, is this point of, I did not create myself. And what that does is it creates like a degree of separation between me and like the negative parts of myself, Mm. where I'm not responsible for who I am. And this is a line I heard from Rivka Margaret Stetner in my note. She said, and it was very profound and was really powerful to me. She mentioned it uh, for bringing it. She said, it's not my fault, but it's my problem. Like, it's not my fault I am this way, but it is my problem. I still have to deal with it because I still have a mission that God gave me. So from this viewpoint, like from this vantage point, how does something look different, right? So let's say there's something I'm going to talk first, like in our position. I think it applies even further than that, but in our, right, there's something particular I'm struggling with or many things I'm struggling with, but let's say there is something particular I'm struggling with. So we know we have free choice. So technically I'm able to make the choice. I think the free choice lies not so much in the action of when you actually have the choice, but in your reaction to the last time you met with the struggle. Mm. So if I think it's my fault, I struggled, right? So how do I react? I messed up. 
I was not successful. I don't know. Give me an example of something that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you share something? Okay, so, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give an example. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> a very hard thing, and I can give an excuse and say it's since becoming a mother, but it's not true. I've always struggled with this. Even at times when I was like really immersed in spirituality, I always had a hard time with opening. So I struggled with just like feeling connected during the opening and, and actually doing it. Like it's hard for me to just like say the words sometimes. So let's say I don't thought, right? So I can say I'm a terrible Jew. Like everyone yeah. I know Davins, I had the time. I could, like I could have Davins and instead I chose to do something else. I could, or I could, you know, I could beat myself up even now. Like in, I think like in the stage of motherhood, actually davening is kind of difficult mm. because you never know when you're going to be interrupted or, right? So I can say, oh, come on, you spent 10 minutes on your phone this morning. You could have dove in those 10 minutes, right. right? And you're just like really bad at this. And you just really don't care about that. That's one way I can speak to myself after I fail. Or I can say, it's not my fault that dominating is really hard for me. This is the way that, you know, I was born into the 21st century, really fast paced world where sitting and focusing and like taking that time to talk to God and Hashem is not very obvious and apparent and the words are prescribed for me. And it's like all these different factors that come in and make it really difficult for me to dive and then take into consideration, you know, like I said before, like, oh, and maybe my baby's going to come start pulling on me and it'll turn ray, right? There's all these really, it's really hard to dive. Yeah. And it's not my fault that it's really hard to dive it. And so I didn't dive in today. It's not okay. But it's not like I'm not a terrible person because I didn't. That's normal. I'm not like, I'm not a perfect topic. I'm not supposed to be able to be perfect at this. But it's still my problem. So what can I do? How can I make davening something that I can maybe next time it will be a little better for me, a little easier for me, hmm. right? So I can say from that viewpoint, I can say, hmm, maybe I am just going to commit to doing every day, which I can do in seven minutes, right? If I'm being really speedy, seven to 10 minutes, right? I would say, So that is doable for me right now. And it's doable for me, even if I wasn't so busy, but just like when I'm just like not interested in doing it, that's something I can do even if I'm not interested. I can force myself into doing that, right? Right. From the perspective of I'm a terrible Jew, I'm not even gonna, I'm never going to come to this conclusion because this is not perfect Jew davening, right? This is like flawed Jew davening. Oh yeah, right. But so first, when I come to this realization, I'm a flawed Jew, and that's Hashem made me this way. I'm able to then think of the solution in a practical way where I can actually be a little bit more like mission oriented instead of it all being about me and identifying with it so deeply so that it just sort of stops me from actually getting anything done. Yeah. I've noticed just like on a totally not religious sense, I think our world is pushes us so much to like identify with things and like to make everything we're doing like a huge part of our identity. And I think sometimes that's damaging. When we identify something, we make a big deal about failing and we don't make a big deal about doing it well. And when we create that degree of separation, we're able to make a big deal about doing it well and sort of brush aside the failing. Nice. And then we stay, we actually keep on doing it because we like feeling good. Like we like to be feeling like we're doing it well. Yeah. So interesting because this thought process is coming in response to how to utilize bitterness of self in a way that propels you to growth. So 
immediately when you hear that, you think like, oh my gosh, like it's basically about being self-critical and like seeing yourself in a low state. But that line that you shone a flashlight on, that line that I have not created myself is the huge difference between a bitterness that's productive and one that keeps you in that negative loop. So it's like all of these things may be true and I may be failing in all of these areas. But okay, that is not something that I myself have created. So like you said, that identity point, I think is very powerful that my identity as a Jew or a soul that wants to connect to God does not come into question because I'm struggling to pray in the morning. What comes into question is just, what am I going to do about it? So there's this struggle, there's this failure, but then what am I going to do? There's no question of identity. It doesn't define me that I failed at this. Yeah. Because again, it's not, it's not even in my control. We all have flaws that we did not create. And we also have circumstances, challenges that Hashem gave us that are more painful than we can bear. Frady Yonover, who experienced tremendous loss in her own life, on how we can approach the painful circumstances of our lives. What advice would you give for someone really living in that space right now? Someone listening who's living in that space of pain, challenge, directed at them from God. How can they find direction through the tears? How can they find purpose through the pain? I'm moved to say, call me. I know that's not the answer you're looking for. Mm. (laughs) So we'll go beyond that. But don't hesitate to reach out. There are two things I'd like to say. One is allow yourself to experience the pain. There is no need and no call for martyrdom when a challenge presents itself, when God sends a challenge in our direction. He intends for us created human beings to experience the pain, the mourning, the loss with every fiber of our beings. But we are blessed with intellect and consciousness. So maybe, maybe, and I know that a wiser person than me would perhaps challenge this, but maybe a suggestion. While you feel and experience the mourning and the challenge and God should protect all of us. Please, God, there should be no challenges that hurt, just challenges that allow us to grow in our relationship with God without pain. If one is experiencing challenge while you are allowing yourself to really be in that space of emotion and pain, use the blessing of your head to begin to seek direction and the what of the challenge. Maybe this is why our heads and our hearts are separated by a neck which can turn in a different direction because my emotions will overwhelm me and my emotions are real and strong and no one can deny you your emotions and the way you are experiencing your pain. But see if you can't give thought to the what and the direction and the purpose, because in the challenge, 
lies your next move, lies your next journey in life. We had the great honor of hearing from someone in the throes of this experience. Hannah Wasserman had her life upended overnight when her parents were killed in the Surfside building collapse. I don't think there's ever answers when it comes to tragedies or losing people you love. It's just the greatest loss when it happens and every day after. It will always be that. And there are no answers that will take away that loss, that will bring them back. And so for me, it's been, I am doing exactly what it's almost like this is my service to Hashem now. Like in my human life, in my human experience, I am having, like I'm surrendering myself to his plan, his unfolding. And there's no, like I feel abandoned by him in so many ways. So I just feel like he forgot about me. Like he forgot about our family. Like this doesn't make any sense. How can this be? And then I'm also knowing, knowing very, very deeply that there is no way for me to get through this without him. Like I don't have the human capabilities to get through it. I have to turn to him and say, you need to help me. You need to find a way to get me through this and get my family through this. So it's also like these two opposite feelings towards him. It's so complicated. It used to be so simple. Such an interesting dichotomy that you're expressing, like simultaneously feeling abandoned and also carried. This is something that is so human to at once be experiencing something that makes us feel completely abandoned. And on the other hand, to know that God is carrying us. It's so painful. And I'm just like, this is what it means as your soul to be in a body, to experience such tremendous concealment, to feel so alone and empty, and yet to also have this part of us that feels connected and full within the experience of abandonment and suffering. It's like, how do those two things coexist? But they do. I think also in the belief in Hashem and in the belief that a soul lives on and there's another realm in that belief, there's Mm. hope. Mm. So without the belief, there's no hope. And without hope, there's no life. A life without hope is the walking dead. And I've done that. I've been doing that for a very long time. And it's not a life hopelessness drains the life force because where's the purpose? And so in the abandonment and in feeling like I was forgotten in the bottom of a dark pit, finding the belief and saying, okay, so there's a God and there's a God who runs the world in a way that I will never, ever understand. I will never agree with this. 
I will never see how this needed to happen. But there is a God who is unfolding the world and our lives. And if I believe in that, and if I believe in other realms, and I believe in our neshamas, then I believe that my parents are not here physically, but they are eternal. So that's my hope. My hope is what I am clinging on to with everything that I have, that everything we read and have learned is real and true and it's being tested. Mm. It's really easy to accept when everybody we love is in this world with us, alive and breathing and with us. Then yes, I can accept everything. And then you take them away in this crushing, traumatic way. And I'm standing in the middle of my life and my life is a wreckage and I'm suffering. And what's my choice? And so Okay. Okay. So this is real. This is real. We have an ashama and there's more to this world and there's meaning and my parents are with me and they're with my brothers and they're with their grandchildren and they will be here forever and one day my day will come like everybody else and I'm going to go and I will there is more. There is more to what we see. And that's my choice. That's my hope. That's the belief. Something so striking to me about what Hannah shared is the presence in her experience. Hashem sent her on a journey she could have never expected. And somehow she is holding both enormous, crushing pain and a powerful hope. When Rifki Kaplan learned a sicha of the Rebbe about the moon's diminishment, she describes herself as relying on her accomplishments and her to-do lists for a sense of worth. What would it look like if we could all be fully present for the experiences of our lives, for the pain and the hope, for the tragedy and also for the renewal. We have become so accustomed by judging ourselves, by judging others, by our accomplishments. You know, like they say, we're no longer human beings, we're human doings. I think what Hashem was telling us with this message, with the moon, is like simply being there and aligning yourself with what I want of you is absolutely good enough, period. And I think that we struggle with that so often where we don't gift ourselves with the ability to just be present because we say, what am I accomplishing? I'm not knocking anything off my list. I'm not being productive. And Hashem says, are you in the sky during the daytime exactly where I want you to be? That's good enough. And if it's good enough for God, why can it not be good enough for us? And for whatever reason, it's like so elusive. And very much like the moon, you kind of think you figured it out. And just then you begin to wane again, you know, like every full moon is kind of followed by a diminishment. 
And every diminishment, of course, is followed by a growth. And this is my opinion. Why the Rebbe talks about it third is because I just think it's the hardest one to sit with. I mean, I speak for myself, but I don't think I only speak for myself when I say that we struggle with simply being. Now, simply being doesn't mean like becoming a couch potato. And you know what? Sometimes it's really just a mindset. You know, like you could be super productive, but being present in that productivity is also the gift of being versus just trying to get it done for the sake of moving on to the next thing so that you can then mark that off your list so that you can be considered within your own critical little policeman that hangs out there or others the way they judge you or not. You can show them that you've proven yourself in that regard. And then also extremely moving part of the story is that after all these pacifications, God realizes, you know, that what he's asking of the moon is difficult. It's not an easy place to be. For me, the truth is the struggle is in quieting the inner critic and telling myself if being is good enough for God, then it's got to be good enough for you, you know, on a regular basis. Because I would have the tendency to push, 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 push past what's healthy because that's what's considered like being productive. And if you're productive, then clearly you're valuable. And if you're valuable, then, you know, it just goes on. The rhetoric just continues and kind of spirals out of control. I love that the basis of being is basically accepting that you have nothing to prove, like really deeply accepting I have nothing to prove. And therefore, it's safe for me to just be. And specifically as a mother, in the way that you're saying, that means just being with my family, even if I'm not doing anything productive. Exactly. It's a real struggle. And you know what the truth is? I remember having, this is like years ago, but I'll never forget this. I had guests and they were like a bit of high maintenance style guests. I had a number of little ones. There was a lot going on. And obviously, I'm going to prove myself as a hostess. Otherwise, what am I worth? And so I did, like I out in myself. And then <laughs> as the guest was leaving, she didn't mince words. She's like, you are so stressed and not present. You Thanks know? for having me. Right, right. But you know what? It was a, such a valuable lesson because basically what she was saying was it would have been much more valuable had you lowered your expectations and actually sat with us at the table and been available to connect with And I was like, wow. I mean, obviously the comment hurt. Like I go back to that. Like would I want to just do one more thing or like buy the little hostess gift or do this? I was like, no, it's going to stress me out. And then I'm not going to be able to be there. And that's really what they want. And I Mm. think people, you see that for yourself. You know, you go to somebody's house and they're so busy chachking around you. You're like, I didn't come for that. Like I came to be with you, you know? I think our spouses, our children, our friends, our students, you know, like sometimes you could give a class and you get so caught up on your PowerPoint and on your worksheets and making them so graphically attractive and like, but you're not actually there. And I think that's the struggle of being is recognizing that like, that's what they want is they want your essence. And sometimes you crowd that out with all your accomplishments and The struggle is to get back to being okay with being, and it's really silly because that's all they want. So really, the person who's not okay with that is the one in the mirror. 
Because if really all your spouse wants is you and you're busy putting together who knows what kind of dinner, and then by the time he comes home, you're too distracted or too flustered or whatever it is. Don't worry, it's been a long time since I made that mistake. But really, it comes back to we're the ones or I am the one that has a hard time with being able to accept that. And that's why when Hashem offers this atonement offering, I sort of feel like he recognizes that it's not going to be easy. He recognizes that this diminishment thing is going to take a lot of work. And for some people, maybe it comes more naturally. I think for those of us that were maybe gifted with this doing muscle, it comes a little bit harder. But I have to tell you that since I learned the Sicha, I've pretty much never missed saying Mosav on, on, um, on Rosh Chodesh. <laughs> because that's where you oh. talk about this. And for me, it's just like a very tangible way in which I connect to Hashem holding my hand, being with me, through this journey. When we speak about a woman's beauty, do we speak about a beauty that we create through doing something? Or is it something more related to our beings? To the way our beautiful physical selves are just expressions of who we are? Let's hear from Basia Wunsch. We have both been speaking a little bit in the abstract. When we say this is what beauty is, what is this beauty that the world considers to be beautiful? And where are we trying to find our definition? Okay. So when you find Torah saying beauty, they're usually talking about a person. And it's hard for us to really know what that means. Their face shone, or they say about Yosef that he was so handsome. Or like David, King David, they really, even when it talks about all of the foremothers, it says they were so beautiful. In Aisha's Kyle, when it talks about the Jewish woman, it praises her for all these different things that she does. And one of the things that it says is that Shekhar that beauty or Chain, it gets very tricky translating all of these terms right, because they're Chain. so mixed up in English and what we hold these terms to be because the Hevel Hayyafi. Okay, so Shekhar is beauty is falsehood or like pleasantness is falsehood and the Hevel Hayyafi and it's disgusting or it's what's it called? It's nothingness. It's nothingness. Yeah, it's it's low <laughs> is the beauty. But a woman who fears God should be praised. That's what it says about beauty in Aisha's Hile. But when it talks about all of the foremothers, when it talks about Sarah of Garach and Leah, it says every single one of them, it describes their beauty and it goes into their beauty. The difference is between when it's talking about the beauty of the mothers and when it's talking about the beauty that is Sheker. The ha-chain, the the is very important because it's not saying Sarah's chain or Rifka's chain or Rachel's chain mm. or Leah's chain. It's saying the beauty, beauty, just the beauty, that beautiful abstract thing. That's beauty. That's beauty standards. That's like a notion of beauty. It's not mm. beauty in its essence. Wow. But when it's talking about Sarah's beauty, then that's beauty. That's beauty. That's real. That's beauty. That's worthy of praise. When it's talking wow. about each of the individual mother's beauty, then it's real beauty. And that's the beauty that we would look for. And that's the beauty of a Jewish woman is not hachin, like your beauty is you as you go to mikvah, like not with any of these treatments, not with any of these polishes and lotions and no makeup, no glitter, no spanks, none of that <laughs> without all the things. That's the beauty that it's talking about is your beauty. That's you. That makes me so emotional. Hachin, the beauty conjures up the image of like an object or a thing as opposed to 
Basia's beauty. Like when someone says your beauty, it doesn't feel like they're talking about your looks. It feels like they're talking about your personhood. It's a whole different definition of beauty, which is that it's a beauty that like emanates from within you as opposed to a beauty that's completely separate from you. It's like nice eyebrows as an object, nice body as an object, as opposed to you, beautiful you. Yes. And I really find that people now are becoming more cognizant of that. So instead of saying, oh, you're so tiny or, oh, you're what's it called? Looks amazing. Something perspective, like you're glowing. You look so yourself. You look radiant. That's different. That's how they describe it when they say Yosef was beautiful. He was so right. he was so beautiful. It's not they're not saying Yosef had perfect teeth. That's not how they're describing him. Or like right. they thought it was like some abstract, strange, that's the measure of beauty. No, it was he emanated beauty. We're coming full circle now. When Shimona Tukernik spoke about experiencing Hashem in a visceral way. She spoke about upping our physical experience of Hashem's beautiful mitzvahs. How can you experience a da'as within the beauty and joy of your Yiddishkeit? Kol atzmaisai taimarna. Hashem, mi chamaicha. This Yiddishkeit is so beautiful that all your bones will exclaim, Who is like you, God? The wellsprings have to flow outwards means let me immerse myself in learning to the extent that it's going to radiate outwards and shift my heart and the other side, I think, is if I can bring joy. Hidur mitzvah is there for a reason. You make it beautiful. Imagine there was no hidur mitzvah. It's like just, okay, get it done, mm. next. But we make it beautiful, and that brings joy. One of my favorite verses in, in Tehillim is, A beautiful sight gladdens the heart and good news strengthens the bones. That's a somatic verse. Mm. So when we look at beautiful things, when we dress in beautiful and refined clothes, we're shifted. Mm. And certainly when people hear good news, they feel strong. Yeah. The limbic brain is activated. That's a beautiful suggestion of hitter mitzvah as a way of creating a more beautiful, physical, visceral experience of mitzvahs is to really engage all your senses. And that's something that I was recently thinking about because I was learning about AI, artificial intelligence, and the whole concept of living in a metaverse and people, you know, not going to parties anymore and sending themselves. And I'm thinking that mitzvahs will always keep us rooted in our senses when everything could possibly be transmitted to us through sight, if we ever do wind up living in a metaverse where most things happen on our screens, which, I mean, we're already kind of living there, but 
the more we get immersed in that world, I think the more mitzvahs are going to ground us in our physical experience as human beings. You have to go out into a physical sukkah and be sweating. I mean, I'm from Texas, so it's hot on sukkahs. You know, sweating, mosquito bites. You have to feel that experience in a physical way. Like people are pushing each other to go out into nature to feel things, to touch things, to look people in the eye. And it's like fill in leather straps, Shabbos candles, the feeling of the wooden stick, the match, you know, all these things are really physical experiences that, like you said, they strengthen your bones. I wrote an article about that exact, it wasn't about AI and the metaverse, but because this was like 20 years ago and the world has changed so much since then. But I interviewed Mel Alexenberg. Mm-hmm. I remember was quite involved in his work. He was the director of Pratt for a while and now he runs an art school, art and trade. I'm not exactly sure in Israel. His story is written up in my story, but he was speaking in a very interesting way about the three sons of Noyak, Shem, Ham and Yafis and how Ham was humorous and visceral and Yafis was an aesthetic beauty and mm. shame is the name of Hashem in the tents of Torah and how to be Jewish you actually have to have all of that and as he was talking about it he said there used to be it was very popular performance art where the artists would perform and engage the audience in the mm. performance the audience became part of it and he said Yiddishkeit is God's performance art you oh. know like isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah, like you go into the sukkah and we're all in this Ooh. artistic, creative endeavor and you submerge in a mikvah and there's someone else there and then there's the evening with your husband. And, you know, it's like this all of life becomes this interactive, artistic endeavor. Actually, I really feel that. I identify with that a lot, that Yiddishkeit gives a magic to life. It really does. Like there's a certain magic to the way we are continuously revisiting the same experience. I felt that this year with the Seder, but you're revisiting it in a deeper way. And and it's like, imagine being invited by a master artist to this interesting meal where every single food represented something else and had all these deep, rich life lessons. It would just, we would see it as that magical immersive experience. And Yiddishkeit is exactly that. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha mechaberet nishmati tamidilecha mechaber mechaber. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did. I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Hasidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.